Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. morning everyone I'm glad you're here to join us and I just want to say thanks to the worship team I know every week they come and they they uh, get together and and do some live worship for us and uh, I was just uh, I was just sitting and enjoying the worship and kind of singing along and then I kind of look and it's kind of an empty room it kind of loses its uh, uh, effect a little bit and uh, I just want to thank them for all the time and the effort and sacrifice that they had made uh, and I am looking for forward to the time when we actually can meet in person and uh, that's such a huge dynamic about uh, Sunday mornings and worshiping just being able to get together and worship together corporately and so um, I just appreciate that so much and through this time that's something that I've really come to appreciate so that was uh, Leah Schramm now what happened last week if you weren't with us we had someone uh, a child do the 23rd Psalm and it was someone that I just picked off from uh, right now media and there were people who said hey we got good people we got good kids who can do uh, do the 23rd Psalm, and so that was uh, uh, Leah Stram who did that. Thank you, Leah, for, for um, participating in that this morning. The 23rd Psalms, we're just continuing on in a series uh, which is called A Shepherd's Song for Stressful Times, and these are uh, stressful times. These are unprecedented times, at least in my life they are. I haven't experienced anything like this in my, in my whole life, and so this is a good uh, a good psalm to refer to. This is this psalm is over three thousand years old. It is probably the most famous of all of Scripture, at least one of them, because many people outside of of church life know this passage of Scripture because it was part of a funeral and, and that. And and it's one of those things where it is so simple that a child can understand it. Yet at the same time, there have been books that have been written just about these six verses uh, of Scripture. It really is incredible. But I think that it has been misappropriated because we have relegated this passage of Scripture to funerals. And the thing about it is, it has more to do with life than it has to do with death. And someone had said, we need to break the marble off of this passage of Scripture. And and I uh, agree with that. Like, it is a metaphor uh, that kind of has two sides to it. The first side of the metaphor is a shepherd with his sheep. And the, the shepherd, if you stop and consider it, is the thought that there is a God who has created everything and there are about, uh, what, six billion people on this earth and, and God knows us each intimately in a universe where we are just a speck of a planet in this whole universe. And this vast God who created all that intimately knows us. It's incredibly incredible if you stop and consider that. The other side of the metaphor is that there is the propensity of sheep to get lost. As a, as a matter of fact, it is almost impossible for sheep to take care of themselves. They get lost all the time. There's a scripture that we quote all the time that says this, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we fumble around and sometimes we get lost and sometimes we find ourselves in, predicum, in, in terrible situations, sheep do. There, and maybe you may not know this, but one reason that sheep will die is that they will fall down and they can't get up. You may not see that as as being something which is serious, but sometimes with sheep, sheep that are particularly big or sheep that have a lot of wool on them, a lot of times with pregnant sheep, 
what happens is they go to lay down and they lay down too much to the point where they can no longer get up and their feet are kind of stuck in the air. And what happens is the gases in their stomach begin to formulate and, and percolate and it's just a matter of a couple of hours and they pass away, they die. And so what happens is a shepherd has to be careful of this and if they see someone, and it's basically called a sheep that has been cast. What happens many times, the sheep has to pick them up and basically restore them. Needs to pick them up and, and get the circulation going so that they can get on their way. Find themselves in trouble all the time. The other thing about sheep is that they follow other stupid sheep. There have been cases where sheep have follow, followed other sheep off a cliff. There's instances that they have found where sheep have, shepherds have lost up to half of their flock because the sheep have kind of stumbled off a cliff and the other sheep have followed them. Like sheep are defenseless animals. Stop and think about it. They're kind of like walking lamb chops for, for, for predators. They, they don't have fangs or teeth. They don't have claws. They're not fast or anything. They are just absolutely defenseless. Really, you stop and think about it. And this is what the psalmist is reflecting on and talking about when they're talking about us. And so what I want to do is I want to go a little bit deeper if I could. I want to reveal some things that I believe will change you if you look deeply into this psalm. Sometimes we read it and we've known it so long that we haven't really looked really deep into it. And I want to try and be um, as clear as I possibly can because at no time do I want to pull the wool over your eyes. Okay, that was my, my rare attempt at comedy and I had to use that pause so that you could keep on laughing kind of like what they do in comedy sort of thing, okay. Sheep over my eyes. I thought it was funny. I'll go on, okay? Um, have you noticed, perhaps you haven't, that there are six verses in Psalm 23, but there are three transitions. There are three different points. There's three times where all of a sudden the scenario changes. Um, not only that, the last two verses, um, he's not even talking like a shepherd. There's only the first four verses of this passage of Scripture where God is seen as a shepherd. It goes and it talks, he talks differently in verses five and six, unless of course you believe that, that, that uh, he's talking about sheep when he's gathering them around a table and, and, and giving them a cup to flow over. And, and if you're kind of seeing that, uh, you're seeing as a sheep at a table with a cup in his hand, then you've watched too many cartoons, okay? There's a whole lot of things that are really interesting if you look at this passage. The first three verses, it talks in the third person. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. God is referred to as the third person. But then all of a sudden, you get into verse four. Verse four says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no one with you because you are with me. All of a sudden, there is a, a change in intimacy in the, that passage of scripture. So if you were to divide it up, you would have God or the shepherd in the field and then you would have God who would be the shepherd in the valley. And then finally, you have God as a host. You see him in the field, you see him in the valley, and then you see him in the tent. In the first part, he is God as our director. And in the second part, he is God as our protector. And in the third part, he is God as our connector. It's really interesting stuff. But I believe in the day that we are living, in the time that we're living, in the issues that we are dealing with, 
there's some important things. And if you give me a couple minutes, I want to kind of go a little bit deeper in this particular passage of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, and I'm going to just kind of go through them verse at a time. It's, it's Psalm chapter 23, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. God in the field. God is our director. And uh, it's almost like an oasis. It's almost kind of like this, 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 this haven of rest in the middle of a desert. And all of a sudden we see those terms again. He restores my soul. Like I said, it, the re restoration is of those times where a person, if someone is being restored, it means that they need restoring. It's kind of like the, the analogy of the sheep that has tumbled over, can't get up, needs all of a sudden to be picked up, to be put in the, the right position. He, he leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads me to the right place. The literal translation is this. He brings me back to paths of righteousness. One translation says it this way. He leads me from the wrong path to the right path. So you see, the heart of this passage of Scripture is not about a sheep who has it together who's hanging around the shepherd. It is, it is an analogy of a sheep that does not have it all together, who is continually going in the wrong direction, who is continually upside down in the process of everything that's going on, that they need the shepherd, that, it, that there's, there's a hope in the fact that there is a shepherd. There's a Hebrew word called shuv there, which is used repeatedly, which says this. He continually causes me to repent. It's impossible for me to get my way home. What I do is I need a shepherd. And the inference is to the fact that we're always going the wrong way. You know, if a sheep gets lost, what happens? If a sheep all of a sudden kind of scatters itself off into an area where it doesn't know and it's away from the rest of the, the flock of, of sheep, what it will do is it will hide itself. And then it'll start crying out, which is a good thing, and then it's a bad thing, because all of a sudden, he is crying out for the shepherd, but the other predators are hearing it as well. And so what happens is the shepherd, if it seeks it out and is able to find this sheep, which is hiding, the sheep is so traumatized that many times they can't even walk, which means basically the sheep has to carry that sheep on his shoulders and bring him back to the flock. That's interesting. Kind of represents us. We're the ones who think we have it all together, but many times we don't. You want to know something which is really interesting about this passage of Scripture that many times we don't point out, and all it is is one letter in two different words. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, plural. He leads me beside the still waters, like it's more than once, or at least it's more than one time. And the, the thought is that it is an ongoing process, that God always brings me back to these places of refuge. That there are different episodes in my life where God brings comfort and courage and restoration and rescue. And he's talking about those times where we need those oases in our life and those times when we're going through drought and these times when we've kind of walked away and God comes and he brings us back. And maybe you're here and you're going through one of those times where you're saying, you know what, my world is upside down. I just kind of feel lost in all of this. I need to get back to the still waters. I need to get back to that time where God is able to work in my life. So we lose perspective. 
in a day where we have cell phones and we have Google Maps, we forget the fact that if, that if a shepherd takes a flock out into the wilderness, that once they are out in the wilderness, there is nothing to protect them other than the shepherd. And there's lots of things which are taking place. And there's lots of scenarios which are going on. And sometimes we need to be carried through those times. And this is what it's talking about. We can't call 911. You have to trust in the shepherd. And there are certain times in life where I will go through situations and challenges which are different than when I was 21 that I'm facing now that I'm older than 21. And sometimes there's the scenarios where perhaps you're a young mother and you have young children and you don't have a lot of time and you don't have a lot of sleep and you don't have a lot of support and you don't have a lot of money and you begin to say, God, I thought it would be a whole lot easier than what it is now and it's not. Or maybe the fact is that you're a young mother and, and a single mom and all of a sudden everything that they were experiencing is even more for you because there's only one person who's taking care of things. And, and many times we think that all of us are going to have perfect children and we don't always have perfect children. And so what happens is we begin to realize that, that things are difficult, that there are challenges that they have. Or maybe you're here a few years later and you have teenagers. Should I say anything more? I have teenagers. Okay, I'm with you. I understand exactly what you're going through. Well, our teens go through difficult times. Our teens go through times of rebellion and perhaps your teen is addicted to something or perhaps your, perhaps your teen is lost spiritual or maybe your, maybe your youth is going through a time of rebellion or maybe they're just making bad decisions or maybe they're a young adult and, and they're going out with someone and you're thinking, this is the person that they're going to marry? This person is a bum. This person doesn't have it all together. Is this the person who's gonna be calling me mom or this is the person who's gonna be calling me dad? God, I need help. I need something. There's, there's something which has gone wrong. My, my, my child is autistic. My child has a reading problem. My child has a vision problem. My child has a hearing problem. My child has ADD. My, my child is hyperactive. My child has a weight issue. My child has problems learning in school. My child is being bullied. And being bullied is different now than when it was when I was going to school. Or maybe you're a few years along the way and you're thinking, my life had meaning when I had kids, but now my life doesn't have meaning now that I don't have my kids and I'm here all alone and I'm stuck with this guy or I'm stuck with this girl. I'm not too sure what to do. Life was a little bit more difficult. I used to be called the new kid on the block. I haven't been called the new kid on the block for quite some time now. That kind of bothers me. What's after that? What's part of the next chapter? I wish, I wish my business would go better. I wish I could sell my car. I wish I could sell my house. Why am I always the last one to get passed over for this promotion? God, I've been doing all the right things, and for some reason, I'm not the one being recognized. Now I'm a widower, or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a widow. The idea was that we would both live to 100, and then we'd both die together, and, 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 uh, and things would go well and rosy, but it's not that way. And I find myself alone. God, what is going on? How do, I, how do I deal with this? What about this accident? How do I deal with life since this accident? How do I deal with, with, with caring for my wife since their, act, their accident? I need surgery. I'm different and I'm the kind of different that the church may not like. I may lose my friends. This addiction is killing me. This weight problem is killing me. This self-loathing is killing me. This worry is killing me. This anger is killing me. This gambling addiction is killing me. This emotional fear is killing me. God, I'm upside down. I'm lost. 
My neighbor is psychotic. My roommate is psychotic. My, my teacher is psychotic. My parents are psychotic. My teacher is psychotic. My boss is psychotic. I can't take it anymore. I don't know how to deal with this. My dad abused me. My dad was absent all the time. My dad was an alcoholic. My dad was an addict. Uh, and, and, and my dad just was never, ever there to support me. And my dad has this anger problem to boot. And, and, and the residual effects I am feeling now, not only that, I've become to realize that I'm actually starting to become like him. My spouse is passive aggressive. My, my spouse is a bad parent. My spouse no longer loves me. My spouse is unresponsive. My spouse is unaffectionate and cold. I think my spouse is having an affair. My spouse is not nearly the spiritual leader I need them to be. They're not the, the emotional support I need. My spouse is sick. My spouse is checked out. Every time I drive home, I wait in the car for 10 minutes before I go into the house. I don't know what to do. God, I'm lost. God, I'm upside down. I don't know what to do. You're dealing with matters of your health. I hate, I hate this asthma. I hate this diabetes. I hate these panic attacks. I hate this Crohn's disease. I hate this colitis. I hate this multiple sclerosis. I hate this heart murmur. I hate this chemo. I hate this dialysis. Whatever the case may be, I'm pursuing a career, and in my ambition to, 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 to pursue the career, I've cut corners that I thought I would never, ever cut. I'm sitting here in this career and I'm trying to do everything and I'm realizing that I'm robbing my family for the sake of advancing my career. And somehow I used to be close to God and no longer am I close to God. And there was times where, where I, would, I found value in being with him and for some reason it seems like that's a million ways, years away and, and I used to go to church while we're in the middle of, a, middle of a pandemic. But somehow I've kind of gotten out and I'm feeling these clouds of depression and they're lurking at my door and these feelings of hopelessness and discouragement and I'm feeling the uneasiness come upon me and it's like this heavy weight on my back. It's like this unwelcome friend that always seems to be there. And what I need is a green pasture. What I need is some still water. What I need is for God to show up. Why didn't David just say pasture? Why didn't he just say still water? Because if he said pasture, and if he said still water, then I could stay there. Then that would be what it is all about. But he doesn't. He says still waters. He says pastures. And so what happens is I've got to live my life. Because if all it was was one still water, and all of it was was one green pasture, then I really wouldn't be living, would I? See, the thing is, we will always choose comfort, won't we? We won't choose discomfort, but sometimes God will choose discomfort for us. But here's the thing. Contentment does not come from what we have. Contentment comes with who we have. It's an important thing to understand. I was trying to figure out, when I was looking at this passage of Scripture... When exactly in David's life did this take place? And it was difficult to find out. Um, the most scholarly source that I had surmises that he wrote this psalm probably somewhere around the time when he was running from his son Absalom. He lived a lot of life. He'd seen a lot of things happen. 
And he had had a lot of episodes in his life. And here he is saying, oh, God, I am the same guy that I was when I was a young kid. I'm, I'm going from one situation to another. I'm continually getting myself lost. I'm continually upside down. What I need is I need some time because the Lord is my shepherd. He is where I'm going to find the sustenance in all this. It's kind of like the rest area. You ever drive a long distance? If you're driving that 20-hour drive, and, and as you're driving, you're just kind of feeling yourself get tired, and you just see that sign that says rest area, five miles or seven kilometers or whatever. We just need those times where we stop. We need those times where there's those, that oasis, oasis where God somehow speaks to our life. The picture of stillness, the, the picture of tranquility, but it is based in the fact that they come after times that we are trying to deal with life. God, who is our director, we need that director. Transition number two. Transition number two is not in the field. It's in the valley. And there's something that changes in verse four. It says in verse four, even though I walk through the valley or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so you see a new transition. You see where it goes from he to I. That God is there. And all of a sudden he goes from God the director to God the protector. I don't know if you, you caught last week's service, but one thing I'd mentioned in that passage of scripture is that that term shadow of death, uh, they didn't really have that as an interpretation until they interpreted the Hebrew scriptures into the Greek. And that Hebrew word, which was talking about shadow of death, was a real difficult one for them to interpret. And so when they were putting together the, the Greek Septuagint, they used the term shadow of death, and it has been with us. And that's probably why we think of it as a, a funeral. But, but the literal interpretation is like dark, dark, dark places. He leads me in dark, dark, dark places. And he reminisces as he's looking through his life and says, you know what, every dark valley that I have been through you protected me. You were there. But you know what? When we are actually in the valley, I don't know if we can really see the protection. Sometimes that just seems like indifference. Sometimes it seems like abandonment, but it's not. God protects us. He's with us. There is actually a place I've, I have found um, in uh, the area where David would have been, which is a, a place which is called the, the Valley of the Shadow of Death. And, and it is a particular area where um, the, the uh, cliffs are extremely high and the valleys are extremely low. And they, they say that there are certain parts of this valley that as you go through them and as the sheep go through them, they have to go through certain passages single file. So you begin to go and you can't turn around because there's another sheep behind you. You just kind of have to go. That's why the scripture says, he, 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 even though I go through the valley, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't say I run through it. You can't sometimes. It doesn't say I run around it. No, you can't run around it. Sometimes you have to go through it. It's a, a difficult situation. It's those times where you're not too sure if you're actually going to make it. You hit that point where all of your resources are gone and you're not too sure what to do. It's like Heartbreak Hill, and I know that uh, uh, I know that I have used this illustration uh, uh, in in a sermon or two before, and I know that I've used it here. But Heartbreak Hill, for those of you who don't know, is a place which is known in the runners' world as the Boston Marathon, which is amongst the most popular marathons in all of North America. 
And Heartbreak Hill is a, is a hill which is located around the 20-mile mark of the marathon. And the difficulty of this particular hill, and it's about a half mile long, and it's this huge hill that they have to run on. But it's at that point where all of your resources are gone. You have pretty well depleted all of your energy when you've hit that 20-mile mark, and you have kind of have to gut it out. And what takes place is you begin to run, and at your time when you've run the farthest that you possibly can, you are called to run some more. But not only that, you're called to run up a hill. I don't have time for this. God, I don't, I don't have the resources for this. I don't think that I can make it. I had a friend who was, uh, his dad was a missionary in Kenya, and, and he had a lot of interesting stories. You know, I would tell him about a time where we were out camping, and he said, well, there was a time when I was camping, and, and our whole camp was surrounded by hippos. I don't think that that ever happened to me. Um, but he always had interesting stories. One I will never forget. As a missionary's uh, child, he had to spend time in a boarding school. So while his, while his parents did missions work, he was kind of shipped off to the school, didn't see his parents for, for sometimes a month, two months. And he said they kind of had these dorm rooms where there were a number of, a number of uh, students that stayed in the one dorm, but he said there were these tunnels that were in between the dorms, and you could crawl your way underneath the ground from one dorm to another. And he said, I think they're about 50 yards apart or something. I can't remember the space he did, but any space to me, if I'm thinking, I'm just a little bit claustrophobic. This kind of bothered me as he told me the story. He said, if I knew that my kid or my child was crawling in these tunnels from one to another, they would be severely punished. Like not only it was dark, he said, there was times where I was crawling through this tunnel where there were points in this tunnel where I could hardly get through. There was one or two times where I wasn't too sure if I could actually get through the smallness of the hole. He's saying, he said, that tunnel could have collapsed at any time. And, and this is Africa. There were poisonous snakes. There were scorpions. There were, there were spiders that were poisonous. And, and here I was, along with all my buddies, crawling from one to another. I thought of that. The fact that you can't turn back, the fact that you've gone too far, that you've got to keep going. And chances are you will never find yourself in that position. But I know that there have been times in ministry where I have sat in the waiting room of an operation, holding hands with an individual who wasn't too sure what was going to be happening next to their spouse, to their child, to whatever. I remember sitting in an operating, in, in an operating waiting room, waiting to find out what was going to happen with uh, my daughter. Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the phone call that comes at 3 o'clock in the morning. Or maybe it's that sharp pain that all of a sudden comes into your chest. Or, or maybe it's the police officer who calls in the middle of the night. Or maybe it's that doctor's appointment where he says, the tests are coming in and I have some concerns that I want to talk to you about. The darkness of the valley, that God will protect you, that he will be with you. I remember reading a story, uh, I believe it was John Ortberg that had told the story where he had gone to a beach and he'd gone, swim, uh, gone surfing first thing in the morning and as he's there on his board, there's hardly anyone there. He sees this little child kind of come up, paddling up to him and saying hi, very personable child and, and he's thinking, this, this boy is way, way, way too small to be out here alone and as he's having a conversation, he says, hey, are you out here alone? He said, no. 
he says, there's my dad. And so he points, and there's this behemoth of an individual, a bodybuilder, who is just kind of exercising on the shore. And he says, hi, Dad. He says, hi, son. He said, all of a sudden I realized why he was so comfortable in the middle of an ocean, in, in the midst of all of this where there was potential danger. God is there. He was there to protect you. Reminds me, reminds me of the story of the Gospels where the disciples are in a boat and it's raining and it is storming so bad that water is getting into the boat and they're thinking we're going to die. And what they do is they wake up Jesus who is sleeping in the boat and he say this, don't you care that we are going to die? And he calms the storm. Kind of similar, don't you think? Here's the thing. The object is not defined a lake with no storms. The object is to find a boat where Jesus is in it. Ask yourself this question. When the worst of the worst of the worst happens to me, who or what do you go to? That is your shepherd. No matter what you say, that is your shepherd. If it's your wealth, uh, your wealth is very good until you're about to die, then your wealth will do absolutely nothing to help you. Maybe it's the alcohol, maybe it's the food, maybe it's the relationship, maybe it's whatever addiction you talk to. It may sustain you for a little while, but it doesn't ever, ever help you in the darkest of darkest times. It may be the fact that you are a health nut. Let me tell you, as good as that is, there are not enough blueberries that will help you out on the day of death. There is not enough exercise equipment. There is not enough essential oils that will help you get through that time doesn't say run through. It says walk through. It doesn't say run around. It says go through. And God is with you. He's with you in those greatest times. He's the God in the field. He's the God in the valley. And then in five and six, it changes. Transition number three. He becomes the host. The first part is the direction of God. The sex one, second one is the protection of God. The third one is what we'll call the connection of God. And he starts the psalm off with, the Lord is my shepherd. He ends off the psalm with, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. He uses the word the Lord at the beginning and, and at the end. And the third scenario is different because no longer does he see himself as a shepherd guiding and protecting. But what he does is he shows the advantage of what it takes to actually know Jesus and some of the things that happen. And there are five things that are there First thing is salvation. First thing it says, I'm going to go prepare a table for, for you in the presence of my enemies. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's almost like it's a flaunting victory, but actually it's ultimate victory. Stop and consider this. When Jesus was about to die on the cross and he was going to be victorious over death, what does he do? He prepares a table for the disciples. Paul, as he later talks about communion, uses almost the identical language of the 23rd Psalm. Salvation. Not only that, he anoints my head with oil. Well, that was a time where you would get refreshment over a long journey, but we all know that it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit inhabiting our lives. When I'm connected with God, the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to me. My cup runs over. My cup runs over is a, a, a statement that someone makes when they're completely satisfied. Well, how are you doing? Well, my cup runs over. 
Not only, not only do I have everything that I need, I have more. The other thing is there, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I put staying in there. There's a staying effect to the love, to the love and, the, and the mercy of God and the, the kindness of God. You know what a better term would be? Stalking. And I didn't want to use stalking because the word stalking kind of implies this kind of creepy guy following you all around. But what if it is mentioned in a good sense? That the kindness of God follows you around like a stalker would follow someone, but in a good sense. Every time I turn around, there's goodness and kindness. Every time I turn my head, God is there showing kindness and love and, and goodness to me. And the last one, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever, is the fact that he's beginning to talk about heaven. He's talking about the eternal picture. And, and at this time, he tries to give us the ultimate statement that he could think of at this time. Have everything. Not only that, I have eternity. God is going to do so many good things. Charles Spurgeon, um, known as one of the best preachers in the last couple of centuries, said this. He said, you know what? We, we don't make a memorandum of our mercies. But for some reason, we seem to do that with our um, afflictions. We trace our joys in the sand but we write our afflictions on marble. Our troubles, not that we write our sorrows in the marble, and our, our troubles are, sorry, our troubles are that we write our sorrows in the sorrow and our mercies in the sand. But David, as he begins to talk about this, does the exact opposite. He puts his mercies in the marble. He puts the sorrows in the sand. If you can do that, I think you got it made. There's a story, um, late 1800s, and uh, there was no internet. Um, there was um, uh, no traveling that, that were uh, of long distances. There was, no, there was no movie theaters. There was no radio. There was nothing. And so what happened for entertainment was there would be people who would come into town who would be very eloquent in their ability to memorize and, and to be able to quote famous passages of literature. And they would do it in such a way that, that the, the, the voice, the way that they would project it, it would be very entertaining to, to a couple. And this, this one particular famous individual came to one town and the whole town was packed into this auditorium. And he begins to quote different references from, from classic literature and, and it goes in and says a number of things and he, and he just uses his eloquence in such a uh, tremendous way that, that these people are spellbound by what he's saying. And after he's done, they just have a roar of applause and, and they say, can you do more? Can you do more? And he says, okay, well, what I'll do is, is I will take, I'll take a request. And so one older pastor um, is asked to come up, or is, is asked to say, can you do the 23rd Psalm? And he thinks, he says, yeah, I sure do it, but I will do it in one condition. I will do it, and then after that, I want you to do it. And this guy was puzzled and says, well, I'm not that very good at that, but I will go. If, you're, if you will do that for me, I will do it. And so this guy um, takes the passage of scripture and he begins to quote it and he he reflects his voice and he inflects his voice and he he uses the highs and lows that 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 he was always trained to do and he beautifully displays this passage of scripture and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever 
and there is a huge roar of applause. So the pastor comes up and, and his voice is a little bit rough and he's not as cultured as this individual. But he begins to quote it. And as he begins to quote it, there is this light that seems to go on and there is this, this brightness that comes over him as he begins to deeply allow his emotions to go out as he tells this particular passage of scripture and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there is not a word except for the sound of handkerchiefs coming out to wipe off the tears of people's eyes. And as they talked about it later and they asked about this actor who had, who had performed this and they said, what was the difference between the two? The guy said, it's easy. I knew the psalm but he knew the shepherd. Isn't that true for a lot of things? You can quote this passage of scripture. It's really nice. It can kind of give you a lot of comfort, but if all you do is know the passage of scripture, I don't know if it'll have the value that God wants you. The, the object is to know the shepherd. And that's my prayer for you. And I don't know whether you're here and you don't know the Lord at all and you're just saying, okay, I need to know him. You can know him by asking him come into your life or, or maybe you're here and you are going through one of those times and it might just be I don't know what to do about this situation I don't know how to deal with this and you're feeling yourself upside down you're feeling yourself lost in this whole process can I pray a prayer for you whether you're one or the other Father in Jesus name I pray that your word will come alive your, the Bible your your word says that the, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword and it, it cuts deep into the soul. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will allow your word to penetrate our hearts today. I pray, God, that you will move in every individual is just hanging on. I pray, Father, that you will move in those people who are downcast, those people who are away. I pray, Father, that you will talk to, to those people who are struggling with stuff that nobody even knows about, Father, because your word is true. You do guide us. You do protect us. You connect us with you. So I just pray, Father, for the healing presence of the Holy Spirit to manifest itself over the internet as we're watching live stream or whatever time we're watching this particular uh, service. But as this last song is sung, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will do something deep in our lives because we love you. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.